adults, talking to you for a minute. Do you ever do something that reminds you that you're no longer a kid anymore? You ever have one of those moments, right? Uh, for, for, for instance, for me yesterday, this happened. Yesterday, this happened. I was doing a very adult thing, a very exciting thing, 4th of July. Some would even say a manly thing. I got a new grill. Yeah, yeah. My last one, it was about seven years. I did nothing to care well for it. It was a little bit cheaper grill. And I said, I'm just going to beat this thing until it ends. And it lasted a lot longer than I expected. It was a great grill, but... Um, uh, my, my loving wife said, you need to just go get a grill. So like within minutes, I went and got a grill. And uh, I, you know, I already had one on, on mind and all that. And you know, the nice people at Lowe's, they loaded it into my, my car, all that stuff. I get home and yeah, Meg's inside with the kids. I could ask her to come help me lift this thing out or I could just do it myself, right? Obviously, that's what I'm going to do. Now, I did see the little warning on the side, you know, team lift. I'm like, yeah, okay. And it said, like, no less than 50 pounds and no more than 200 pounds. Well, I can handle that, less than 200 pounds, except my own weight falls within that range. And this probably exceeded my own weight. Anyway, I did manage to get the grill, huge box, out of my car. And in so doing, I messed up my lower back. Who's been there? You ever do that? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. It's terrible. And this is like the third time I've like, you know, thrown my back. And I'm like, I'm young yet. That's a problem. It reminded me, though I'm maybe a little bit younger than some of you, I'm not a kid anymore. In a lot of ways, we know it's good to grow up. Uh, Paul even puts it to put childish things behind us, which is a very good and natural thing. Uh, And when we do things like throw out our back, we remember that we are meant to grow up, even though sometimes it hurts. And yet, we put this childish behavior behind, and at the same time, we are called to be childlike. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's week one of Kingdom Kids, our series as we look at how God works in and through children, all for his kingdom cause. We're going to learn from the kids and from our Savior today. So let's set the scene today, and it's this. Kids have an active role to play in the kingdom. And we, adults, have an active role to play in bringing kids into the kingdom. So whether you're a parent, a grandparent, you're dating, you're, you're single, you're a, you're a teenager, you're a widow— you're an empty nester, wherever you are in that spectrum, you have an active role to play in raising up kingdom kids. Hear the word of the Lord. This is found in Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and blessed them. 
cool thing in the Greek. Bless them is to bless them fervently. I don't know how you can aggressively bless someone, but that's what Jesus did here to the children. Thank God for the reading of his word. Now, I see a few of the kiddos in here. I want to talk to you for a minute, all right? And if you feel like you're a kid at heart, you can listen too. Kids, I want to talk to you for a minute. So adults, you can grab a coloring sheet. Now you can listen to, this is for all of God's children, but primarily the littlest of our children right now. Kids, do you ever feel like you don't matter? Maybe it's one of those things where you're trying so hard over and over and over to get your parents' attention, and you just really want them to pay attention. You have something really cool to tell them or to show them, but they're too busy cooking dinner, or they're, they're talking you know, to another adult because adults just talk, or maybe they're on their phone, and it kind of makes you feel like, do, do, do I matter? Or maybe you have younger siblings, and if you have younger siblings, and you feel like they get all the attention, and you're just left to figure it out on your own. Or if you have older siblings, maybe you feel like they're so busy getting in trouble that mom and dad are spending all the time talking to them that you're just kind of forgotten about. Or maybe you just really want more friends. Or the friends you do have, you just wish would spend a little bit more time, you know, wanting to actually hang out with you. Do you ever feel like you don't matter? Now, I'm sure that your family and your friends, that you do matter to them a good deal, even if they sometimes struggle to show it to you, even if there's times you may not feel that way. But here's the most amazing news I have for you today, and this is for all of you today, but especially you kiddos, you matter to God. You matter to God. Why don't you all say that to someone near you? You matter to God. Say it to your second choice. Thanks. You matter to God. Kids, you matter so much to Jesus that he got really, really very angry at his closest friends when they tried to stop kids from coming to see him. So many people were bringing their kids, not so many, so some, some people were bringing their kids to come to Jesus. He, they wanted Jesus to bless them, laying hands on them. They wanted to bring them to Jesus to lay hands on them. It was a common sign of blessing. You see, Jesus was known at this point. He was growing quite famous already. He had, he had healed several individuals of their different sicknesses. He has cast out demons. He has performed miracles. He has taught with authority like they have never seen or experienced before. There are big crowds everywhere Jesus goes. And a lot of people, a lot of people wanted to see Jesus but here, some people are trying to bring their children, little children, we believe, to see him. And what happens? The disciples rebuked them. Rebuke's a pretty strong word. They, they were pretty adamant on these children not coming to Jesus. Now, in one regard, this is totally understandable, okay? In one regard, put yourselves in the disciples' sandals. They have a very difficult challenge of standing there. You can't get over that. I said sandals. They didn't wear shoes. They didn't have shoes. They didn't have like fancy little lace-up things. They had sandals. Move on. Everyone wanted to talk to Jesus. 
everyone. And they had to be the ones to try and try and mitigate who gets to see him and who doesn't. That's a hard place to be, the middleman. And we know Jesus is super important. The disciples, they're trying to protect his time. They know he has an important work to do. They want to look after his schedule, make sure he stays on task, all, all that stuff. But also consider the historical context. On one regard, the disciples had still not fully grasped that the kingdom of God was not a political kingdom that Jesus came to establish. They had believed Jesus would stroll into Jerusalem and declare himself king and that overthrow the Roman rulers and the, then place the disciples in these high-ranking political positions. They had, they had really struggled with the idea that the kingdom of God was not a political kingdom in that sense, but it was a total different type of kingdom and a different way Jesus came to establish his reign. So in that regard, he, he had an important work to do. Jesus did not have time to engage with these kids. But also in the historical context, the ancient Middle East, uh, how they viewed children is a lot different than how we view them now. They carried zero social value or standing. None. Um, in general, the norm was to teach your kids to be neither seen nor heard right? You don't want them to be around, uh, especially, especially if you're engaging with adults, especially important adults. You don't want your kids around because they are of the littlest value in this context, in that culture. Kids at that time definitely did not feel like they mattered because that was not their place to matter until they were old enough and had the right job and then they could matter to someone. You see, the disciples, they were simply trying to manage the master's time and living out in their context how things typically went, trying to let Jesus focus on what really mattered. Except what is revealed is they really had no idea what mattered to the master. So the disciples, they rebuke these people with the little children, and Jesus sees them, and oh man, kids, Remember that time you got in a whole lot of trouble? I see some, yeah, I saw that smirk back there. Yeah, remember that time you got in a whole lot of trouble? Yeah, right now these disciples, they're in a lot of trouble. And Jesus is mad at them. Jesus was indignant is the word used. Another word, I don't really use indignant. That's a scary word. Uh, In fact, the only incidence in scripture of Jesus being indignant is right here in this account. Indignant means to be greatly afflicted, to be greatly displeased. In other words, Jesus was really mad. He's not happy at all with his disciples. We only get a few instances of Jesus' anger in the Bible. Uh, I think we get annoyed Jesus more than angry Jesus. <laughs> He's frustrated with the Pharisees and all that. But when he really gets angry, uh, think of the, uh, the few instances. We, we have the fig tree a friend and I were just talking about this week. What a funny and uh, surreal passage. Preached on that two years ago. Two years ago. Wait, what? On the fig tree. And it's like, is Jesus just really hungry and he's mad at this fig tree for not having figs, even though it's not the fig growing season? No, there's more to it than that. But that, this message isn't about that. But he got really angry at the fig tree. He cursed it and said, may you never bear fig fruit again. And then actually, right after that, he, he goes into the temples and he flips the table as, what, you turn my house into a den of robbers? And he drives them out. 
because he did not like that people were doing the form of religion without the substance and the heart of religion of following Jesus, that they had, they had turned this into something that it should not be. He was really angry. And here is the only instance where we have recording of him being legit angry with his disciples. And we're reminded, we're reminded of Jesus' framework, of, of, of his mode of operation. He did not come for the healthy. He came for all, but his focus wasn't the healthy. He didn't come for the perfect. He didn't come for the well-to-do and the high rollers of life. In fact, his VIP list is everyone else's do-not-invite list. He came for the least of these. There are no outcasts in the kingdom of God. And in Jesus' way, under his rule, his reign, those that society may have viewed as the lowliest, they're raised up in the kingdom to the highest order. So Jesus makes it abundantly clear here because he sets children as the example to follow, the standard for which we should follow in regards to entering into the kingdom. And this is baffling. Remember what I said about the context of that time. Kids were an, almost an afterthought. They were a burden. You don't think about them. You, you show them the place and you raise them up, but in, in, in the culture, they just didn't, they didn't have things to teach adults. And Jesus here is saying, oh no, I am setting these kids as an example for all you adults to follow. That is, that is crazy thinking for that time, but it is beautiful. So the disciples, those that have been closest to Jesus, naturally they miss this. And they physically are standing. It's a physical barrier between Jesus and the children. But Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not, do not hinder them. The disciples saw the kids as a bother to Jesus, but Jesus sees them and says, get over here. Come over here where you belong, which is in my arms. He is saying to the children, you matter to me because you matter to God. You matter to God. I am so delighted to be raising three children in a church that loves my kids well. That is an answer to these parents' prayers. And I know a lot of kids have come up through this place. A lot of you have come up through this place and been loved well by this place. Just want to say thank you for taking your part in our baptismal vow seriously. That, that you agreed and covenanted with us and with God to do all you can to show the love of Jesus and to teach our kids to raise them up in the faith so they may profess him one day as their Lord and Savior on their own. So thank you for taking your vow seriously. That is a deep encouragement to us because uh, Meg and I, we need your help. <laughs> Every one of us parents with young ones need your help. Every single child needs all of us to aid in pointing them to Jesus. You see, we, we know that parents and caregivers of Children are the primary disciplers of their, their children, but it's too hard to do alone. That's why we're grateful to bring them to a church where, where we're seeking to partner with parents at home to raise up kids in the faith. May we never lose sight of this truth like the disciples did in that moment. 
May we even, even beyond that, may we even increase our intentionality to help point our youngest to Jesus and to not just pray for them in quiet, but to pray for them in public, to, to not just say nice things in our heads, but to even say them to them, hey, you matter to me and you matter to God. May we all voice those profound truths to our littlest as we seek to raise them up together in the faith. Because we never want to be the thing that is standing between someone and Jesus. But if the disciples fell into that trap, we cannot fall asleep to that possibility in our own lives. The next passage, in fact, kind of deals with this uh, in a way as it looks at the rich young man. In Mark 10, it starts in 17, we'll read in just a minute here, give you the context. This is a very respectful young man. It, it specifies young. He's not a whole lot older than these kids, really, in the grand scope of life. A young man, he comes to ask Jesus how he can inherit eternal life. It is clear he, he knows the Old Testament. He knows all the commandments he's supposed to follow. He knows them enough that he has been obedient to following them. He says to Jesus, yes, I have been following those since I was a boy, since I was one as young as these little children. And then in verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, I love that detail. He looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 22nd aside, for those that sometimes doubt the truth of God's word, this is another one of those elements that helps give us a proof of God's truth. Uh, If someone just wanted to write a really good story, you would have that guy sell all his stuff and follow Jesus. But the reality is we never hear from this young man again. Gospels writers never say he came back. No, his face fell and he walked away and he acknowledged this great barrier. Those incomplete, those, those, those lack of victories are telling sometimes a small proof and a great line of proofs to the truth and validity of God's word. Now for this young man, not a whole lot of years have passed since he was one of these kids. But for this young man, where he is right now, it's not the disciples standing between him and Jesus. It was his wealth. He held his love of things of this world over his desire for the kingdom. He knew the word of God as evident by knowing the the Old Testament scriptures and following these commands. Problem was, he knew them, but it wasn't tattooed on his heart. He knew them, he was obedient to them, but his wealth was what mattered more. Now, wealth is just a placeholder. It could be anything. For him, it was wealth. For any of us, it might be something else. Hold on to this thought for a minute about the rich young man as we go back to our first passage one more time, where Jesus says, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Receive the kingdom of God like a child. Kids, we adults have a lot to learn from you. We have a lot to teach you too, but we also have a lot to learn from you. Jesus sets you, children, as our example for how to receive his kingdom. Now think about kids for a minute. One of the things that they are learning as they develop and grow up is obedience. I mean, in theory, that's what my kids are learning, obedience. (laughs) I think they're learning obedience. My teacher says they're really good at school. Obedience, it's not kids' strong suit. It's something they grow in that we're constantly always working on, right? It's to teach them how to be obedient, how, how, how to, do, to obey and respect and follow the way things should be. It's our job to train them up in that. It's not a natural thing for them. But what is something that's natural to children? Well, it's trust, it's faith, and it's total dependence and reliance. I take Daisy, and even still at uh, uh, two years old, I can before my back went out, I can toss her as high as I can in the air. And she's not freaking out. She is smiling at me because there is no, nothing in her mind that would ever think I'm not going to catch her until I might miss. And then that would change things, right? That's where she loses some of that trust. But she fully depends on me. She totally relies on me. And, and it's, it's unfathomable for it to be any other way. Children, naturally, their strong suit is dependence. But compare these children now with the rich young man. He grew in obedience. He was really good at obeying. He had followed the law, the written, how to do all this. But what did he lack? He lacked faith and trust to do what it takes to follow Jesus. He lacked following him, knowing, because because this young man, he became self-sufficient. Which unfortunately, when it comes to the kingdom, was to his demise. What he needed was to fully depend on the Lord. To completely trust and depend on the Lord by ridding himself of whatever it is Jesus says. That's the step. It's not to just follow the written rules. It's to obey the Lord and depend fully on him. He relied on his wealth, not on his Savior. Wealth became his barrier to Jesus, much like the disciples were the barrier to the children. And we all have barriers. We all have things. But Jesus calls us for removal of those barriers so that, just like the children, we might fall once more into the loving, embracing arms of our loving Savior and receive his kingdom blessing now and forever. That's what it means to receive the kingdom of God like a child, to fully and completely depend on him, just as a little child depends on a parent. And we know it's not easy. The disciples didn't get it. The rich young man didn't get it. And in fact, the natural order of our world doesn't follow that pattern. You see, we we raise our children to become independent of us. Successful parents, in fact, enable their sons and daughters to one day fly out of the nest into a life of independence. That is a beautiful thing that we long for and we celebrate. 
So the more mature a child becomes, the more independent he or she becomes from their parents. It's a sign of health. That's how life is supposed to work. But this is where the kingdom of God turns the natural way of things upside down. Don't miss this one. The more spiritually mature we become, the more dependent on God we become. The more spiritually mature we become, the more dependent on God we become. We do not earn the kingdom of God. We receive it. We depend on God entirely to give it, or we don't enter it at all. Salvation's not a cooperative work where we work our way towards it. No, it is all of God, all of his doing. As we grow as disciples in Christ, we don't become more independent of God. We become more and more dependent upon God. That's what it means to have a childlike faith. It's not a childish way. It's not a simplistic, reductionistic way. It is a total dependence on the one who gave you life. That's a childlike faith. Adult self-sufficiency must recognize its need for the sovereign God. Adult moral defensiveness must humble itself before the holy God. And adult skeptical toughness must soften before the loving God. Children, you matter so much to God. You matter so much to God, and you have so much to teach us as we are seeking to teach you about faith and life. Remember, you matter to God. He loves you no matter what. He may not always love the things you do, but his love for you never changes. He loves you completely and entirely. So depend fully on him, and he will walk with you every single day of your lives. Jesus cares about your little cares. He cares about your big cares. He will be more patient with you than your parents or us will be. That's a good thing. And he sees you not as a burden, but as an example. For all of us, all of us who are God's children— What is standing between us and Jesus? What is it? Because he longs to sweep you into his arms and to bless you fervently. Seek God in prayer for what that barrier is. Seek God in community for what that barrier is. And then do anything short of sin to remove it from your life. No matter how hard it is, it is better to enter into the kingdom of God with the wounds of losing that thing than to not remove that thing at all. Remember the wonder of Jesus like a child holds that wonder. Remember the trust we have in Jesus and offer whatever hinders you and be willing to leave it all behind. For the Savior says, come, follow me. I have all you need and you are my child whom I love. Praise be to Lord our God, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we 
thank you that you have known us and loved us since before we were born, during our first cries and our first steps, our first victories, our first failures. You have loved us without end. We thank you for the littlists in our midst who are teaching us what it means to depend. And so we now turn our hearts through your spirit to say we long to depend fully on you once more, Lord. We have these hurts, we have these pains, we have these regrets, we have, we have this, this buildup that occurs as we get older, Lord, where we get embittered and, and soured and hurt and we think we can do it all on our own. But Father, we offer that to you now. We, we come to bring that at the feet of the cross to say, this was not how you made it. This is not how you intended it. You created us to depend fully on you, to let go of the bitterness, to let go of the siren, to let go of the hardness of heart, the self-sufficiency, and to rely fully on you for all our faith and life that you have called us to. as only your spirit can fill us with that childlike wonder, Lord, and that childlike trust and dependence upon you. We offer ourselves fully and completely once more to your care and to your loving arms. And we do ask that you bless us fervently, God, as you prepare to send us out to be your hands and feet. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. continue our worship by singing a song that is indeed an offering of ourselves to the Lord. So as we do so, I ask you to, to take what you are visualizing as that burden, that barrier in between you and Jesus, and to truly place it at the feet of Jesus. Let us stand as we offer our worship to God in this way.